Hello, Boulder Church. Good morning. What a journey we've been on, huh? From fear to death to broken trust. And now here we are on week four of this series, and we've arrived at lack of relationship. You know, when I first looked at this series, I questioned what brought us down this dark road and why it would lead to a lack of relationship. This talk on relationships. But looking back over the last six months, and now it's kind of making sense. What we're experiencing individually and collectively in this year, 2020, we've got COVID-19. Fear and death and broken trust all around us. We've got this particularly brutal, divisive, uncomfortable, and anxiety-laden election year. It's the boiling over of years of oppression faced by the African-American and Black communities in our country, social justice movements, and a backlash against them. Fear gripping our country. Fear of economic uncertainty. Fear of disease. Fear of opposing ideology. Fear of losing freedom. Fear of losing life. Death. You know, death always surrounds us. And if the expected, potentially planned for passing of someone who has reached the end of a long, successful, and full life grips us with grief and emotion, what then of the untimely, unexplained, unwarranted death? The death of a man pinned down, suffocated by those who were supposed to be protecting life. Or maybe the death of a 32-year-old who, after being placed on a ventilator, finally succumbed to COVID-19. And we see all of this, we take it in, and we begin to lose trust. Trust in what? For each of us, it may be something different, but collectively, there's this feeling in the air that our communities are trusting less. Less trust in the economy, less trust in the police, less trust in our way of life. Maybe we didn't particularly trust every individual leader before, but we trusted the system. We trusted that the system that we've established, this democratic republic, the USA, the American dream, that it would lead to life, to liberty, and to the ability to pursue happiness for all people. And it kind of feels to me like that trust is eroding. And we couple all of this broken trust with the basic fact that now we have less trust in just established patterns and norms of society. We used to go to the office, now we stay home. Young adults used to graduate high school and go off to college in the fall. People used to gather for sporting games and picnics. We used to go to Mapleton Avenue on Saturdays. And in the space of six months, the unwritten ebbs and flows and patterns of our cyclical lives have been dismantled and replaced with uncertainty broken trust. And what is it that is at the center of all of this darkness? Fear, death. Many arguments could be convincingly propositioned that the central problem is one of many different issues, ailments, systems, worldviews, diseases, or ideologies. For each of you, as unique viewers of this program, you'll have your own position on everything that's going on in the world around us. A lifetime of decisions, structures, and communities, some chosen and others not, 
have led you to what you believe and what you think right now. And I'm going to take a quick sidebar, this one for, especially for the youth and uh, maybe the young adults who are watching. The decisions that you make now, the community you surround yourself with now, the patterns and habits that you establish now in this moment will have a greater impact on who and where and what you are in three or five or seven years from now than you can imagine. Looking back, it's always clear. You can see that one decision that led you to a certain point. But in the moment, it's easy to pass off decisions now as having little importance on more than the immediate. Just something to keep in mind. You're welcome, parents. So where are we now? Near the end of a rough intro in what's been a dark sermon series that's taking place in the middle of what many consider a pretty bleak year. And we're just now getting to this idea of lack of relationship. I'd like to posit, however, that if you dive deep enough into any of these issues, fear, death, broken trust, and all the darkness that comes along with it, you'll find a broken relationship. As Christians, through our worldview and our belief in the origin and history of our planet and our race, we believe that all darkness stems from a broken relationship. It's the story of the fall. God gave breath to the clay, and connection to God sustained the breath that gave us life. And then, you know the story, the relationship was damaged, and the long-term sustainability of the breath began to break down. From dust we came, and to dust we will return. It was the Adam in the garden, Adam one. Through broken relationship, he simultaneously lost life and introduced fear, death, and broken trust. In 2020, we're living in the aftermath of that broken relationship. Whether it's COVID, the election, social or social justice movements, we look around and see hurting, broken relationships. From toxic Facebook threads going back and forth over ideology to people actually knocking each other out in Costco, or even worse than that, gunning each other down in the streets. We're in a dark place, a valley of the shadow, where ruinous relationships are leading us to pain, hurt, distress, anxiety, and death. You know, as a human race, we've been in similar situations uh, pretty consistently since Adam one in that original broken relationship. From the state of the earth when Noah was building his boat, uh, it seems like we're getting back there now, kind of, to the Crusades from 1095 to 1492, or even the ongoing desolation caused by extremism in the Middle East, to the Civil War and the Great World Wars. We've seen plagues, we've seen pestilence, we've seen war, we've seen famine. And I'm reminded of uh, the verse in Matthew chapter 24, it's verse 12. Lawlessness at the end will increase and the love of many will grow cold. It could be now, it sure feels like the love of many will, has grown, grown cold. But it could have been that way before and it has been that way before. From a big picture, we see this lack of relationship leading to ruin. 
And I'm talking about Adam's fall and broken relationship and how it's directly correlated to the chaos of our current time. Of course, lack of relationship can be damaging in a bunch of different ways, impacting each of us as individuals as well. And I've seen that it's a cycle. We have a lack of relationship and then we experience harm, which kind of starts us on a path to more lack of relationship and eventually more harm. And we have no way to repair it and we have no hope and the valley of the shadow only leads to deeper darkness and eventually irreversible death. At that point, enter Adam too, Jesus Christ. Because through the cross, Jesus repairs a damaged relationship and gives access to everyone to re-enter into a relationship with the Father, the relationship that sustains the breath of life. You know this verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And here's an important point. You have to start from a position of understanding that your relationship to the Father is established. God did the work. You just do the believing. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 15. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. John 1, verses 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And finally, Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. You see, when you choose to believe in Jesus, you immediately come to rest in the midst of an established relationship. It is defined, it is paid for, and it is secure. You know, I struggle from time to time when I think about the depth of my relationship with God. I can start to feel like I'm lacking in that relationship. I grew up hearing, your relationship, Kiefer, your relationship with God is like a marriage or like a friendship. It takes a lot of effort. You've got to put it in yourself. Your relationship with God requires that you actually block out 10 minutes at least, half an hour, if you want a kind of good relationship in an hour, if you really want to make it, in the morning. And for some reason, it was always particularly the morning. You know, 4.30 a.m., 4 a.m. if you want a really good relationship. And if you miss a day in those morning worships, boom, back to square one. There went that relationship. 
I was led to believe that if I memorized all of these verses, that if I repeated the Ten Commandments in Sabbath school just right, if I especially knew the fourth one, and if I prayed before every meal, then a relationship would follow. Right? Follow X, Y, and Z rules to protect your relationship with God. And I'm not going to list the particularly Adventist rules that come to mind, the low-hanging fruit. Rather, I'll let you think of the things in your spiritual life that have been communicated to you as being necessary to a relationship with God. And now I'm going to tell you, stop. Stop letting those things define the thoughts you have about your relationship with God. And hear me correctly, I'm not saying that those things are not important. Rather, that they have been communicated as being the thing, rather than items that are going to lead you into a relationship with God, or into a better practice of life. You know, spiritual disciplines or scriptures and rules of life will aid in your ability to love others. They'll give you a better picture of God. They will give God a bigger opportunity to manifest the goodness of His love in your life. However, they will not change the nature of the relationship that God has with you. That's done. Stop trying to help God make His plan better. Stop trying to do the work that God already did on the cross. Just accept it. Accept that you have the relationship. Give thanks that someone else paid the price to have the relationship for you. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift. And then walk in life with the confidence that God will manifest in relationships that you have with others here on earth throughout your life. This is the greatest command. Love God and love one another. And wow, there sure are a lot of relationships for God to manifest himself in as you go about loving one another. Think about it. You know, our entire life as humans is a web of relationships. Relationship is at the core of everything that we are. Life is built on relationships for better or for worse. Family, friends, neighbors, communities. Here in the West, we live in a capitalistic, democratic republic that informs a whole web of relationships. From businesses, you know, of service or businesses of leisure, they're all relationships. You have to accept the one really important relationship and then let it inform all of the others. You know, if you withdraw from relationship, there's going to be effects, maybe impacts on your life, consequences per se. If you withdraw from a relationship with your family, from your spouse, from your parents or your siblings, if you withdraw from a relationship with your boss or your coworkers or with your neighbors, something's going to happen. And you know, perhaps you're not given a choice in the matter. You know, relationships can be ended, strained, or separated by one individual without consent from the other. And that often leads to brokenness, despair, and questioning that can be embedded deep into your own psyche. You know, I've found that Christianity often uses a relationship with God as a standalone solution for the hurt and anxiety that's brought about by our separation from that perfect relationship at the fall. You know, no matter what, right now in this moment, we're still living in a fallen world. So don't beat yourself up with your hurt and your anxiety and your fear, saying that 
because of these things, surely I can't have a good relationship with God. Listen, these things are not an indication of the quality of your relationship with God. They're an indication of living in a sinful world. If you find yourself in a damaged relationship or the product of a damaged relationship or hurting because of the lack of relationship in your life, seek godly counsel. Make decisions that move you through the damage. Sometimes you can't do it yourself and you'll need others to carry you through. Whether that's a friend, a pastor, a family member, a spouse, a therapist, or any number of support systems, use them, rely on them, and remember that God is about moving you through the valley of the shadow. It's that one relationship that is established. It's not one that wants to see you pitch a tent in the valley or to stop to ponder the depth of the valley. Rather, this relationship is one that encourages you to walk through the valley. And this movement is very important. Because community, relationship systems, are central to allowing us to exist as humans. If you're just by yourself, you lack a lot of relationship, you isolate yourself, what can happen when you're alone? This is something that scholars have called imaginative gridlock or learned inflexibility, or cognitive entrenchment. Simply put, you can't get unstuck simply by trying harder yourself. In fact, the harder you try, the deeper you will actually get in your gridlock, in your inflexibility, and or in your entrenchment. You need relationship. And like I said earlier, it's this idea that the relationship with God, the one that simply requires belief. And again, the verses, you guys in the Bible, these things back it up. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, but of God. Or John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Or John 20, verse 31, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Mark 9, 23, we can go on. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Belief. Trust the relationship that has been established. This needs to be the core of your whole being. You know, Jesus said this confounding thing, And it's something that I've always been puzzled by and my family's had long discussions about. Luke chapter 14, verses 26. If you have the words of Jesus in red, these are going to be red. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, hate, it's a pretty strong word, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You know, I think that this is actually more about accepting what's the most important in your relationship in your life than it is about what you hate. It's about accepting that really important relationship and then moving forward inside of the love and the mercy and the grace and abundance found inside of that 
loving relationship as you navigate all others. There will always be rival relationships competing for your time, energy, and devotion. And for each person, it's a different thing. Whether it's an utter lack of relationship, or maybe a poor relationship with yourself, or perhaps a relationship with yourself that is so strong that it's only you who ever comes first. You come first with friends, you come first with family, you come first at work. You get the picture. Or maybe it's not a relationship among people, but rather too strong of a relationship that you have with money, or the relationship you have with power, or perhaps the relationship that you might have with video games or sports or self-worth or Instagram followers. Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, I think that when Jesus says hate, he's trying to show very clearly where the priority should lie. The priority should be with the relationship you hold with him. Because when these other relationships take precedence in your life and you begin to relax a relationship with God, the relationship that sustains you, the very breath that you breathe, it's going to lead to fear, to broken trust, and to death, whether in this lifetime or the next. So this is the call as we wrap up our series on the Valley of the Shadow. Wherever you are, whether you're in a valley yourself or perhaps you're on a mountaintop, you have to accept the relationship with God that He has established for you, understanding that you cannot make this relationship better or worse. And then you have to look to spiritual disciplines as systems to help you grow in your ability to walk out God's relationship with you through your relationship with others. For this is actually a relationship that informs all others. In Psalms 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here we see relationship. You and God. You and you. You and your enemies. You and the whole world. And it goes on. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what of this goodness and mercy that is to follow? I don't think it should be interpreted as good health and good fortune in riches forever. You know, goodness and mercy can be present in the midst of difficult circumstances. Goodness and mercy is literally the whole height and breadth and length and depth of the relationship that God has crafted, created, lived, and died to give you. And it's a restorative relationship. In the beginning, God said that it is good. And in Jesus, God restores the goodness that was lost in the midst of the broken relationship within your relationship to Jesus. And when you let it, this Christocentric web of relationships full of goodness and mercy will color your whole world. You and everything that you encounter from your first cry to potentially your final earthly breath. And then every waking moment as you work and create, live and love in the house of the Lord forever. For many of us, for our nation, and especially right now for people of color and those facing loss, caused by COVID-19. 
This particular valley seems to be especially deep. And the bright picture of a rosy and colorful relationship with God may seem very far away. The goodness and mercy may seem to be eluding your grasp. Now, more than ever, may you and those you love turn to the relationship that matters most. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you lack nothing living in the greatest relationship. May you live love.